This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello, everyone. It's Andrew Apanov and the new edition of the We Spin Recipes podcast. And today, my guest on the show is Alex Mitchell, the founder of Audio Kite. Hello, Alex. Hello. So, how's everything in your hands, Everything's good. Everything's great. We've had a really busy month since relaunching the platform on, on the first. And yeah, we're just trying to get all these projects done and uh, we're really moving. I've heard quite a bit of the relaunch, but uh, it's interesting because I don't know quite a lot about it just yet. So I hope to get some insights from you on this conversation. But uh, first of all, can you mention just a couple words on what your product does and on your background? Sure, absolutely. So uh, my background is as a musician. I'm a recovering musician and uh, I still play music a lot. But a few years ago, I decided to get into the, you know, into the product space, into the digital space with a product for musicians called Hypetree that I worked on as the lead for a couple of years and then transitioned to AudioKite about six months ago. And AudioKite is a feedback service for independent, mostly independent musicians and labels where we do very affordable, very fast market testing to a population in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, was it something that you wanted as a product or did you receive some inquiries from people around you who wanted to gather feedback from listeners quickly? So how did you come up with the idea? Yeah, so it's actually interesting. So we came up with the idea through research, of course. We polled several thousand musicians, thousands of musicians all over the world, actually, and just kind of asked them, what's the biggest problem you have? What are you facing? What's going on with you? And so we took all those responses and we found out what's important to independent unsigned musicians. We found out where the pain points were and then designed a product around that, really. I mean, we really took the research and said, because, you know, I really try to be an advocate for unsigned independent musicians. I really try to build products that help them and that are fair. It's very important to me that our pricing is fair and that that the way we treat our customers is fair. And yeah, so we took that data and realized that I think one of the biggest problems that they were facing is one, they didn't know how to get their music in front of the right people. They didn't know how to break into the industry. And two, they didn't know if they were, I hate to say it to make it this simple, but they didn't know if they were good. They didn't know where they stood in comparison to other musicians. And there tended to be a disconnect between what they thought they could accomplish with their career and what was realistic considering the public reactions to their music. So we built the product out of research, pretty much every aspect of the product. And I think that's why we've seen so much success is because it's based on what people said they want. Right. So that's cool. And uh, for those who are new to the subject, how people have been doing this before or how some bigger companies maybe do this with some target groups and other ways. So can you comment on other approaches to this question? Well, I think the way this whole review thing and the whole feedback thing has been done before, it's been based on two concepts that I personally don't think are terribly effective. And the first is hit prediction. So let's say there's been all these songs that have blown up in the past. They have these qualities. Let's analyze them. Let's do scientific analysis of them. Let's do surveys on them. And then based on that data, let's use what worked in the past 
in order to predict what's going to be good in the future. So that's one of the ways that it's been done. I don't think that's effective because I don't think we should always be looking back. I think the way, you know, because of the economic reality of the modern music industry, you can't really take huge risks. And so you're looking at this data that says, okay, well, SoundScan says this artist before did really well. And so these guys are already doing well on radio. Maybe we should sign them. And you get this cycle where everything that comes out kind of sounds like something from before because you're using, you know, this notion of hit prediction as, well, if it worked before, it'll work again. And that prevents, I think, really great, you know, unsigned artists who are doing something fresh and original and interesting from breaking out and coming to the forefront. The other way it's been done before is, and there are services out there, and I won't, I won't disparage any of our competitors, but I think from uh, conceptually, there's this feeling of like, you can ask someone in the music industry or somebody who knows music or other musicians. Let's get feedback from other musicians or from somebody at a label or from somebody within the industry. So let's and I think that's, you know, while that could have some value, depending on the artist, depending on the situation, you're not asking the right people. If you have a song and you're forming your music around what other musicians are telling you and what other people in the music industry are telling you, you are leaving out the most important person, which is the listener, which is the actual person in the world who could become a fan. There's this sense that those opinions aren't important, when in actuality, we spend all this time asking each other how the music should sound. We spend all this time relying on experts and a select few tastemakers, when really technology today enables us to go out and ask real people in real time, would you buy this? What do you think of this? Is, how did it make you feel? How long did you listen to it on ever? I mean, you know, these different data points. And that's where I think we've improved on past models of reviews. Yeah, makes sense. And on the first point, well, the, especially the mainstream music, the, the popular music is influenced by other genres. So if you are only looking into past hits, they are outdated by default just by the fact that uh, they were recorded some time ago, even a year ago. It's definitely not what will interest people uh, next year. So it, right. it perfectly makes sense. And uh, on the second but, and, point... And yet yeah, that's yeah. the way it's done a lot of the time, you know? Yeah, unfortunately, it's true. I can... Well, from what I know, how it's done in the big uh, business and with major labels and artists, such things are done for sure. And there are ways to, well, not exactly predict if a single will become a hit on mainstream radio and television, for example, but... There are some formulas that uh, kind of help craft a song in a particular way, but it's not like, just as you cannot predict uh, if a video will go viral on YouTube or not, so it's, exactly. not, it's not quite possible. And uh, just looking back is... So yeah, I fully agree with that point. And what you mentioned uh, next also makes sense. I've seen that tips from music industry professionals oftentimes can actually harm the musicians because people exactly. are biased and... Uh, exactly. Yeah, so we are, we are selling the music and we are producing... The music community produces the music for the people, for the listeners. So you basically get them involved more actively. And speaking of that, so this is the question I get asked the most when I introduce someone to AudioKite. How sure. exactly it works, where the people are, who they are, why the hell are right. they uh, listening and commenting on other's music? 
Right. And that's definitely our, the number one question I get, too, when people ask us, when I introduce AudioKite, when people talk to us about it. So our reviewers have been curated from a platform on Amazon through Amazon called Amazon Mechanical Turk. And what Mechanical Turk does is this really fascinating ecosystem where people will do small tasks in return for small sums of money. Usually they call micropayments, right? So they'll do things like I don't know. It's like OCR. So, you know, a company will have like a receipt and it's very hard for a machine to read off of that receipt. So this platform has people who just kind of sit there and type in, you know, the receipt and then they get paid a very micropayment for that. And then they sort of move on. There's over half a million people. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think that's correct. Half a million people across the world on this platform. So when we were looking for, okay, how can we make this, you know, where can we get our reviews from? It took a while from a technology standpoint to really get the right people and the right reviewers and people who were engaged. But that was a problem that we saw with technology. So the way our system works is we send the song out with an extensive survey. And the survey is based on, you know, the research that we did. So the survey is like, would you buy this song? Would you stream it? Would you recommend this to a friend? What genre of film and television do you associate with this? That kind of thing. So we send that out through Amazon's platform to this huge group of workers that's currently U.S. only, but we really want to expand that worldwide. That's that's something we're actively working on, but currently U.S. only. And they listen to the song, they fill it out, and we give them a micropayment that is a portion of the report's cost. And that's why our, I'm really proud of, of our business, because really our business model is incredibly simple. I can explain it to you right now. There's no shadiness. It's we charge slightly more per response for, to the artist or the label than we do for the than we have in the micropayment to the listener and the reviewer. And this gives the reviewer the opportunity. And there's tons of all sorts of verification methods. You know, they can't submit it until they've heard a certain amount. We can detect if they're just sort of filling in randomly. And, you know, we can ban people if they're not performing. Like, we really do pay a lot of attention to the reviews coming in, We, which is why we have the highest quality reviews in this space. And, you know, I think the micropayment element of it is really interesting and makes it a little bit different because it gives people no real reason and no real incentive to be anything other than honest. And especially lately, I mean, as time has gone on and we've been able to refine people even more and refine this group even more, they really get into it. I mean, they really are, they listen to the full song. They, they write really extensive reviews. And in every report that comes back, I'm always just sort of blown away by the quality of the reviewers and, the, uh, and just the depth at which sort of average person just on the street has an understand. Like they have an, people have an innate understanding of music, even if they're not a musician, even if they're not in the music industry. And that's why I think those opinions are so valuable. So, yeah, that's how it works. We send it out through Amazon and they've been great. We've spoken, you know, we've been in contact with the team over there. They've been incredibly helpful and awesome through the whole process. And using Amazon is great, too, because we have that layer of verification. If we were to go out and create our own system for this, for example, there are a lot of challenges in creating a system by which you're paying a lot of people. And, you know, there are operations overseas that will try to game it. Some of our competitors who will remain unnamed fall victim to those pretty frequently. And it's great to have Amazon because they just kind of take care of all of that and they make sure that everybody's real and engaged and they handle all the payment and it's efficient and it's scalable and it's fast and it's great. Yeah, clear. And thanks for explaining that point because, sure. uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people are new to uh, to Amazon 
a mechanical Turk just as something that exists out there. So it's interesting information. And for the listeners, basically, if there is someone who likes the music, uh, they can be paid for discovering new artists and uh, for being critics and uh, reviewing others' music. So I can imagine how it can be interesting to some people. Also, I'm interested also to kind of hear a quick comment on the demographics of the audience. Sure. Yeah, so who are these people usually? What's age? And yeah, so about location is clear. And by the way, let me ask you the second question right away about the genres, because I know that you have groups that specified what genres they prefer. So how does right. that work? Okay, so the first point on the demographics. Obviously, we are not the only ones with an interest in doing uh, consumer uh, research and sentiment on Mechanical Turks. So people are always running studies just doing, you know, basic demographic research. And overall, the general consensus of these third-party studies that I read before deciding on this as a platform basically said that it is indicative of a slightly lower income United States population if you go U.S. only on MTurk, which kind of makes sense because, you know, the people who would take their time to do stuff like this, they're trying to make a little extra money. There are some people on this system that do it all the time, like it as their job. And it fills a very interesting niche. For example, people who are maybe who have medical issues, who can't leave the house, but still want to, you know, add to the economy and make money, they can use MTurk for this. So it's empowering certain pockets of people who need this as, as an income stream. But uh, on the other side of it, it's a lot of people who are just kind of doing it for beer money. There's a lot of college kids who can just go on and do some of these tasks. And the thing about ours is that they're fun. It's fun to listen to music and people love giving their opinions. Our demographics for AudioKite specifically skews younger. It skews mostly 22-34, a little bit more skewed towards male, and aside from a little bit less of the younger population and a little bit less of the older, I would say mostly our reviewers are between the ages of 22 and 35, at least the ones that are most engaged in that answer it most frequently. And I like that because we watch our demographics carefully and make sure that they are syncing up and lining up with the demographics of music purchasers in general and people who are, are you know, spreading music around. And I think we've done a good job of that. I think our it's sort of this natural thing that's evolved where the people who are engaged get rewarded more. And get a higher rate. So the people who are most engaged in writing music tend to be the demographic that is most engaged in buying music. So it's a sort of cause and effect relationship that makes sure our reviews are really solid. And so on the genres side, and so on the genres, there's a system within Amazon that allows you to um, separate workers into buckets called qualification requirements. Without getting too technical, it basically just means we can group them into you know, it's hard to explain, like digital groups. So there's like a number that you send out and it's like, basically we can survey them and say, what genres of music do you enjoy listening to? And then based on that, they can only see certain ones and they won't see other ones. And obviously that's something we watch very closely too. If somebody comes in and says, I like everything, then that might be a flag that they're not necessarily, you know, being totally honest with us. But almost no one has done that. I mean, people don't really try to gain this that much. And we can, like, we set up all these detection systems for it, and we never even have to use it because people are actually pretty honest when they come through and do our um, surveys because they want to be able to keep doing them. So, yeah, it's through Amazon, and these genres are, you know, we... I mean, it's self-reported, obviously, from the reviewers, and then we group them into buckets, and if they say they like one particular genre, they'll only really see that. 
Yeah, that explains quite a bit and that makes sense. Cool stuff. So I think that it would be really interesting to hear a bit on what kind of questions asked and what kind of information I get as an artist. So I keep asking you questions about the functionality of AudioKite. Of course, everyone can just check the website and try it out themselves. But it's still good because, I mean, I can see that people are actually looking for this kind of information before trying it out. Have you seen it yourself? I mean, I'm sorry, have you seen the type of questions? So I guess that uh, you get some inquiries from people uh, who want to learn more about signing up to the platform. Also, I think you've got some sample reports on the website as well, correct? Yeah, that's usually like the first thing we recommend people do, actually. Right after you sign up, there's a big thing. It's like, look at the sample. I think that's important for us also just from a marketing perspective is like, I don't want to like this is exactly what you're getting this is exactly what we're doing again without really going into specifics there have been people who are op- and companies who operate in this space who aren't always 100 percent honest with where everything's coming from and i think there's a natural sort of skepticism in in some musicians when they look at services like ours we kind of set ourselves apart by saying this is the report that you're going to get here's all the information all the data We're not hiding anything. We're not charging you extra for more data, for less data, nickel and diming. And as a result, the metric, I mean, we have a lot of metrics that I'm proud of. The metrics that I'm most proud of is out of the tens of thousands of surveys we sent out, not a single refund request, not a single person had asked us for a refund on one of these reports. And it's because, like you said, we show the sample. It's like, here's what you're getting. We're setting that expectation immediately. So yeah, I'd be happy to go over a few of the report elements just really quickly. So, yeah, maybe you can uh, highlight some of them, like not every single thing that you list, but uh, what you've seen are the most interesting and uh, requested and what artists are passionate and and interested in the most. Yeah, and and that's actually something we, we ask is what's the most valuable to you? I would say the general rating, which is just one, you didn't like it, 10, you loved it. What is this song? Is it an eight? Is it a five? is simultaneously the most important and least important element of the report because it gives you sort of this general view. I mean, it's where you start. It gives you the number, and that number is kind of what we can use to assess its overall viability as compared to all the songs that have been run previously. So the general rating is really important. That's something uh, people ask about a lot. I would say the commercial viability section in general, it has several markers of, you know, would you share it, would you purchase it, would you stream it? Obviously, you know, the number two most important thing we see is just the straight question, which I can't believe people aren't asking to their listening public, but how likely would you be to purchase or stream the song after hearing it? You know, would you actually buy this thing? And, you know, it doesn't surprise, I don't think it would surprise anybody that that answer usually trends to not likely, And overall, the answer is no, I would not buy it. But that means that when a song comes in and the majority, 40 or 50 percent, say, yes, I would. That's a huge flag that you're really onto something commercially with this song. So commercial viability is really important. Sync licensing is something that sets us apart. Nobody else is really doing that. So, you know, how clearly does your song align with a particular genre or of film and television? Because sync is so important right now. I mean, it's making up such a huge piece of the music economy in general so that's really important song elements are that you know i think one of my favorite or one of the things like as an artist when i run my music through this that i always really like to look at as a producer is the chart that tracks how long people listen to it after they were required to so we have various levels of uh and this is something new in the relaunch 
we have various levels like you can by default they have to hear your song for 40 seconds before answer submitting the survey you can change that to whatever you want you know it can go up to eight minutes so far we haven't had a song that needs to be longer than eight minutes but after that the respondent can choose to keep listening to the song and that tends to happen when they're engaged so now they're not being rewarded financially necessarily for listening longer but they do anyway because they just like the song and so we track how long that happens and when they drop off and it shows you a very clear picture of well if people keep listening through you know the 60 second mark but then everybody drops off that means what's happening at that point in the song you know, for a song that's still in progress. Is it maybe that means that my bridge isn't working or that means that, you know, that they don't like the vocal hook at this particular point. You can really fine tune your production to the crowd if you wanted to. So that's a really interesting thing for me. I would say the last thing is probably the feelings. So that's something that I really like to see also with my tracks and that people always say really kind of puts another perspective on their music because our listeners select from a list, a pretty extensive list of feelings. How did this song make you feel? And then we tally it and show it to you in a word cloud. And it really gives you a subjective measurement aside all these objective measurements. And so that's something that's really valuable, I think, to see is like, because some of the emotions are bored and disinterested. And if most people said the feeling that they had during your song was I was bored, that's a sign that maybe you need to, you know, you maybe need to improve something. And at the same time, if you see that people feel a particular emotion, maybe they, well, maybe your music makes them uh, get into the thinking mode, for example, or right. they indicate that you may adjust your cover artwork or maybe your story or your social media campaign based on that information. So. It right. won't necessarily work every time, especially when you know what to expect, but it can be really powerful and for sync licensing as well, because in many cases you need to know what mood objectively or subjectively your song has. I've got right. one question, like it's generally clear about these sections. And by the way, I really like the section with the comments. To me, I just love reading the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's really fascinating because sometimes people uh, <laughs> don't like this stuff at all. And, <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. they can be kind of brutal sometimes. That's, yeah, but it's that cool. Is, it's, yeah. It shows that, uh, I mean, that they are just uh, saying things as is. That's good. Some musicians sometimes need the critic. I mean, it's tough for artists, especially for creative people to right. hear this kind of feedback. But at the same time, when you see even among four negative <laughs> comments, you see two that are really positive and say something right, like, yeah. I, I just want to hear more of your music and so on, then it just, it's worth it. So it's, that's, yeah. that part is really cool. And, uh, and Yeah, yeah, go on. Yeah, and there's a couple of things there. It's like, and I talk about this a lot, and it's one of the problems that I think we're solving that isn't obvious, that people aren't really talking about, which is this bubble of feedback that I think a lot of artists get into. I see it all the time where there's a, a band or an artist that, you know, they're getting up and they're solid and the rhythm section's tight and they're, they've got great songwriting, but their singer is just totally off-key. Or their drummer is just not up to the rest of the band. And afterwards, like... Because people solicit, I actually used to be songwriting contest judge, so people, you know, would solicit my opinions. I can't sit there and tell you that your vocalist is bad and that you need to take singing lessons. I'm not going to do that. That's mean, you know? And I want to be supportive. And musicians, they ask their friends and family, and they ask other musicians, other people in the music industry. And I just don't think... 
people are being honest with some musicians and I think it holds them back. I think that some musicians just need to be told like this is wrong, you know, objectively, and they can ignore that feedback. They can say, well, no, I'm and maybe because you're, you're looking at this thing where music is very subjective and the way it's perceived is very subjective. What we're trying to do with this is add some layer of objectivity to music in general, to, you know, independent artists' music. And yes, sometimes people say, this is the worst song I've ever heard, and you are a terrible musician. And, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to make that a little bit less harsh and, you know, tell our viewers, like, what would you change? So now, and, you know, because it's an evolving process, so now they'll be like, this is terrible because of the vocals. The vocalist is terrible, you know? But the rest of it is really great. Just clean those vocals up and you got a solid track. They could play that for, you know, and I don't necessarily know that they would be getting feedback. And it's one thing for one person to say that. But when you're reading through those comments, like you said, and you've got eight people who all say this song is great, but the vocals need to improve, then it stops becoming subjective and starts becoming, well, if you really want this track to resonate with an audience, you need to improve the vocals. I just hope that your service won't ruin uh, bands because I can imagine how an excited band opens a new report all together and they check the comments and everyone points at the singer that yeah. the vocal yeah. sucks. <laughs> <And> <laughs> then I can just, I'm trying to imagine what a confusing moment it can be for the bandmates. But yeah, it's cool. It's definitely required. People like bands, musicians need to hear this kind of feedback. And this is the question that I wanted to ask you. Actually, I was supposed to ask you about this when you were talking about the genres, but it's just uh, pretty important for our listeners sure. from what I know. Sure. When we discussed the audio kites on the Wispin forum, there was someone who indicated that the genre's categorization is uh, pretty general and for electronic music it may be not exactly... Well, it may not work uh, the best possible way because of the amount of subgenres. So, can you comment on that? And are you going to add uh, more subgenres uh, so for some titles? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up because we did. That was part of the relaunch. So, we used to have these six or seven categories that were grouped, and it was out of necessity because we were still building that stage of the product. We were still building our reviewers and our base of reviewers and trying to find ones that were really solid. Which meant that, I mean, you were pretty early into, you found out about us pretty early. And you remember, I mean, it used to take five or six days for a report to come back. And that was because there just wasn't a, you know, that huge of a base at that point. There were maybe 2,000 or so people who were um, participating in these surveys at that point. That necessitated larger genre categories. Because if we'd had a genre for just electronic, for example, we might not have had enough people in that category to answer those surveys. So we had to group them in a way that that was maybe a little broader than some people would have liked at that point, myself included. However, since then, we have over 10,000 and it's growing every day. So for the relaunch that happened a few weeks ago, we added a whole bunch more. We, we actually doubled the number of categories we have. We now have a category just for EDM. We have a category just for, because we used to group sort of electronic with pop, which I think is where some of that friction came from. We heard that. I mean, that was something we try to talk to as many customers as possible. We're very open. And that's something a lot of particularly electronic musicians were saying. It's like, well, I don't know if the genre categories are totally representative of 
you know, what we're doing. And so we heard that we took that feedback. And now there's a category just for EDM. There's a category just for electronic. We have much more specific genre categories. And since that, we haven't actually heard anybody come back and say we haven't heard that criticism since October 1st because we added so many more. So that's good. Yeah. One of those features that I missed after the launch. So thanks for sharing that. And sure. uh, yeah, that sounds great. And maybe you want to mention at this point some other features that yeah. you introduced in the new version? Right, because, you know, at, at my core, I'm a product designer and developer. The team we're building, I mean, we're very product-centric. We always want to be pushing out updates. There's always new stuff we want to do. And, you know, the nature of doing a startup like this without taking tons of funding from somebody who's going to come in and have us gouge artists and, you know, not be fair... We're sort of like just iterating on this product as much as we can. And in the beginning, it was just a few options. You know, there were only really four options. And we kind of said, okay, well, it's 40 seconds of listening. And there's going to be 100 people, up to 250 people. And it's sort of limited. And for the relaunch, we just expanded everything. So now you can have as low as 50 respondents and as much as 500 Whereas before you could only really pick from a few options, you can have them listen as long as you want. You can go in and create a custom report. That's a huge thing that we added, which is you can go in and say, I want 100 people in this genre, 150 people in this genre. I want this many with this much listening time. And it just gives the user a lot more control and also simultaneously decreased and increased the price point of our product because we want this to appeal to everybody. Before, you know, our sort of cheapest option was around 20 or $30. And I wanted something that a garage band could have, you know. So we really worked hard to get down to, with some of the discounts we have in play, including yours, as low as $10, actually, is what you can get 50 reviews for. We don't even really see that much of a profit from that report. But I think it's important that we have that for that level of musician, for somebody who doesn't have a lot of money for something like this, but still wants that feedback and still wants to improve their music with our product. So that was a big change is that we made it, you know, more accessible on both ends. Because on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we've been talking to a lot of companies and what I like to call the traditional music industry, that licensing companies and labels, etc., who want to come in and they want to do bigger surveys. They have a larger budget and they can spend $200 on a report and $1,000 on an album. So we wanted to make sure that we were addressing that market as well with larger option reports. So, you know, going up to 500 people and having them listen through a lot of the times when you're running one of these reports from a promotion angle, it's usually good to run, you know, the whole song, make them listen to the whole thing, really get the data in versus a feedback where, you know, you can send out a 40 second report and see where they drop off. So those are sort of the the highlights of the relaunch, I think. It was a lot about just giving the user more control, more transparency, and if they want to, a lower price point, and if they want to, a higher price point. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and uh, I really like how these features sound. Uh, I think it's best for the listener who is interested to just check out your website and the offering there. And moreover, that uh, by the time there is uh, someone listening to the show, uh, you may introduce some new features and so on. Uh, yeah. You just mentioned this idea of a simple idea of uh, running research for an album, for example. So if I've got a release which is not out yet, I've got an EP coming out and mm. I want to collect some feedback on it. How secure is it uh, to share your music with people right. 
So is there any protection? And in any case, the music is streamed, but I can assume the downloads are disabled by default. But how do you treat this question? Are there any NDAs signed by people participating in this program? Of course, we don't have any sort of official legal NDA, like you can't talk about this kind of a thing. That could be something we, we would want to look into. But as you said, of course, downloading is disabled. It's streamed to the same quality. I think that's important because sound quality is one of the markers that it's being rated on. So we stream back the file, you know, as is. I suppose if somebody was super technical, they could record the output of the stream of the browser, maybe. But that's the only way I could really see somebody being able to, you know, download the tracks. And when we're talking to labels, of course, they're like, well, is this going to leak? Are people going to know how to do this? We haven't seen any of that. If that did happen, we would be able to track it and ban that person. But, you know, again, we've sent out tens of thousands. Mostly what happens is I get emails and our team gets emails from our reviewers being like, what was that song that I just heard? You know, we, we get that all the time. It's like, who was that artist? Like, I was going to write it down, but I forgot. Like, can you tell me who they were? And so then we're like, it's these guys. Here's their Facebook. Actually, there was a great example of that very recently. The other day, I loved this. A customer sent us an email with a screenshot of Facebook that said, and somebody had gone to their Facebook page and said, hi, I just heard your song on an audio kite hit where uh, it's like, and I loved it. It's like, it's one of the best, like, you know, there was this glowing review of the song on their Facebook wall. And they were like, Please let me know when the song is out because I know it, it's unfinished. Here's my email. And they just posted that to the Facebook wall. And then under that, I swear to God, under that, somebody else had also found their Facebook and said, oh, my God, I'm here for the same reason. They like commented under it. It's like, here's my email. Like, so I don't think we have really a huge problem with people being able to download the songs, given how often they seek it out in other ways, because and we don't even have. I mean, if you could see the survey, it's really just a button that says play song. There's no real way to download it or to grab it out unless you are incredibly technical, because at the end of the day, if it's being streamed for somebody, you know, if it's being played, I could hold up an iPhone and record, it, you know, like you could always get it somehow. Yeah, but that's yeah. just not something that we we really see. And yeah, just just to get my point better, I wouldn't be afraid of my song being leaked at all. I would be sure. happy if someone recorded it from above. <laughs> so it would be so amazing, yeah. I think, because people don't really care and about downloads because it's all about streaming and so on. So there is just uh, one three uh, percent of artists, I think, who really need to be careful about this because of their popularity but yeah and uh, that, that comes yeah. into play sometimes when we when we're talking to some of the uh some of the bigger guys that have used this and some of the bigger guys who we're talking to that's usually their primary concern we are trying i mean we're looking at it it's something that's on our radar as, as like how do we just really really make sure that these songs don't leak there is a practical consideration and that if you are playing a song for you know, thousands of people across the United States, there's always the chance that somebody's going to see it. But to your point, in the positioning that we have more towards the unsigned and independent market, it's a good thing if they're, you know, like it's making them engage, it's making them care. You have a new fan. If somebody's going to go to the trouble of trying to download your song or contacting us and being like, what was that song, please? Can you let me know who the artist was? Or reaching out to the artist directly that's a really good sign. And that's a really great kind of byproduct of our system. We're almost like some of these reviewers almost use us as kind of a discovery engine. And some of our artists kind of use us as a promotion engine to reach those people. That is one way that our product's being used for sure. 
You know what I would uh, pay extra for this service for? So if you had the feature where uh, the people, the workers can listen to the music and if they like something, they click on a button and they are automatically subscribed to my newsletter and they get a download of that song right away, right through your interface. I would pay for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and that's definitely, um, without going into too much detail, that's something that is on the horizon. That would be a natural, logical progression of this kind of a system. At the present, there are some limitations on what Amazon allows you to do in that regard because they want to protect the identity of their workers. They want to, you know, because you can imagine how like asking for personal information on a system like that could get pretty scammy pretty quickly for some of the less scrupulous requesters and people who are on the system. But yes, that sort of directive fan, we make that happen for our pro members as much as possible by uh, allowing them to include a link. For example, we had a band, they had a new album, and so they used us for promotion. They uploaded their entire album, and they were pro members, and they included a link to a special landing page on their site just for our listeners. And so I actually coordinated with them. Instead of sending all the surveys out at once, we sort of scattered it over just to make sure they reached the widest audience possible. So a certain percentage of the people who really like the music clicked through that landing page and gave them an email. So that actually is something that you can do now with a pro membership and including that link. And, you know, it could be linked to any one of the numerous platforms out there that you're probably more knowledgeable than I am for capturing um, your fans' emails and you know, going straight into some sort of system there. So that is something that we're making happen as much as we can. It's on the horizon to go even more direct. Sounds awesome. Yeah, thanks for these insights and really good idea on uh, sending people to a dedicated landing page. That's yeah. cool. Awesome. So before we wrap this conversation up, uh, do sure. you have any advice to people coming to your platform? Like, have you seen uh, common mistakes that artists make maybe? I would say... Just be open to what you're hearing. I think because, you know, I I try to have as many conversations as I can with our artists. And, you know, the ones that tend to be the most interesting are the ones who, you know, will have an artist come in and they have they're very confident and they send their music out and it comes back and it's very, you know, it's a poor rating. So it it comes out like a four out of ten or a three out of ten even. And you know, when you listen to this music, like, you know, on some level that this is a four out of 10 track, but this isn't something that they know. And so there's a little bit of a disconnect. So they'll reach out. I'll talk to them. And, you know, I had one person come up and say, like, well, who are these people anyway? Like, what do they know about? Like, What do they know about hip hop? One of the biggest things that in that report specifically was that the lyrics didn't rhyme. People didn't like that. He wasn't rhyming. He was just sort of, you know, and so I talked to him and it was like, well, look, We're not here to say that you should, you know, his point was like, well, hip hop, real hip hop listeners don't care if it's, you know, if the lyrics rhyme or not. And, you know, I went back to him and said, this isn't about good or bad. This isn't about right or wrong. It's not just because you have a four. It doesn't mean it's a bad song. It just means that people want it to rhyme. It doesn't mean that you have to rhyme. It doesn't mean that you have to change anything that you're doing, but just know that if you're producing something that is contrary to what the market says it wants, it's probably going to be a little more of a struggle. And at the end of that conversation, he's like, you know, you're right. And and he really took it seriously. And he read through the report and he ran another one. It was, it was a 5.5. I mean, it got better. It did. 
he did use that to improve it. So I would say somebody coming in in terms of like, you know, activating the reports and all that stuff. That's very simple. We walk you through it. Obviously, you can reach out to help at audiokite.com if you need any help with like setting up the system. I think it's more if I had any advice on the other end, when you get your report back, just know that just because if it doesn't align with your expectations, that doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean that, again, it's really not about good or bad. It's just about the truth. This is what people really think. This is an accurate assessment of your music's public perception. So that's the advice I would give. Excellent. Yeah, I love this. And I really appreciate all the insights that you shared. I think it's very actionable and practical. And uh, of course, we link to the AudioKite website and to your social media profiles in the show notes. And uh, awesome. I, Thanks I, so much. Yeah, I think this interview should be interesting both to existing users of AudioKites and someone who is new to the platform. So sure. I, I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. And Yeah, I thanks so much to... for uh, having me. I, I yeah. really appreciate it. And I hope we'll have you again sometime soon, maybe next Absolutely. year. Absolutely, anytime. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We Spin 12.